of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, a music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm Matt Bacon, here with my amazing guest, friend of the show, Willa Garrett. Hello, hello. How are you today, Willa? Very good today. Uh, it's a wonderful day, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you about whatever it is we're about to talk about. Which is, I believe, music publishing. Sure, sounds good. So... I have a lot of strong opinions about this kind of formulated by years of labels. Um, I'm sure you have kind of similar and often probably opposite opinions. For those, you know, given your sort of expertise, for those not in the know, what even is music publishing? Um, okay, it's an extremely complex thing, but let's try and break it down as to like the most common denominator status that we can, right? Um, Essentially, music publishing is the rights that you have as a songwriter, whether you're writing music or lyrics for any song. Um, this is money that's paid through in addition to whatever you would have by like signing a record deal or whatever. Normally, this is money that's paid through to the songwriters themselves. Um, in general, you're probably looking at about more or less between 70 and 90 cents in the US for every record sold. Like if you have a CD or an L whatever LP, like something like that. And in Europe, it's a little bit more, but about the same. So you're looking at about like, I don't know, maybe six to nine cents per song that goes just to the songwriters. Um, the problem is that it's, it's kind of meant to be uh, confusing i believe I, I, yeah. I honestly believe that a lot of music publishers want this to be confusing so you have no idea what you're getting into and publishers you know would love to just kind of keep this really um sort of like a how do i say that they would love to keep this as um cloudy as possible so yeah. that people don't realize what they're giving away um, but let me ask you, when you just said that you have some strong opinions, like what are those based on? Like what are your opinions and what do you believe a lot of this means? I mean, I basically agree in terms of what you're saying in terms of the definitions. Um, you know, my viewpoint has always sort of been, you know, everyone says, don't sign away your publishing. And I understand that argument. The problem in my eyes is 99.9% .9 of people don't exploit their publishing anyway. Probably true, yes. You know, so for me, it's like, well, I'd rather sign my publishing away to a label who's actually going to exploit it and make me, you know, I'd rather have half of something than all of nothing. Yes, agreed. You know, that's always sort of been my viewpoint is like people, you know, especially, and I also think it's different if you're like, a pop star on the come up versus playing avant-garde black metal, right? Like, I mean, if you're kind I of mean, an avant black metal guy, like your publishing is only gonna be worth so much and you kind of need like a label to administer that. You know, you're yes, not- and, and Let's face it, I mean, like if you're in a really small underground label, they're probably not paying publishing money anyway. In theory, exactly. 
every time you have a record sold, like a physical record or digital record, or whatever, there's publishing money paid. But um, if you're on a, a smaller label, they may get under the radar and not have to pay publishing, or you might have a really bad deal where it says, any money that we pay through to you, like any royalties, include your publishing money, which is actually a, a horrible thing to do. But labels do it. I understand it. Uh, it doesn't mean that I would ever accept it for an artist that I deal with. Um, but like, let's, you know, let's get into a couple examples here, right? Um, so one would be like, this is why it's so lucrative to be a songwriter. If you're a professional songwriter, if you're a a Desmond Childs, right? You know, if you're a Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes, whatever, that's writing these pop songs for Aerosmith or whoever it might be, Pink, this is where you make your money. It's not that you're making tons of money because they paid you to write the song. It's just that every time a copy sells or it gets aired somewhere or whatever, you're getting some percentage of this. You know, generally it's probably, and this is like a really rough thing, but it's about 8% of the wholesale price of a record goes towards publishing. So if you wrote that song, you, you know, you have a lot of money. Um, like another example would be like a, a good example in the metal world would be like Metallica, right? When they did Garage Days Re-Revisited, um, you know, when they did, um, wait, what was the, see, I, I kind of dropped out of my Metallica status after a little while. What was like the double CD record they did um, of covers? Oh, um, I don't know, because I also turned 16. Exactly. Right. Um, once, you know, like when, the, like when Garage Days came out, I remember that, you know, when it sold a few million copies, basically, and hearing some of the people like uh, Brian Tatler from Diamond Head and some other people that were saying that was life changing. Like they earn more money in publishing from those Metallica records than they ever did from their own songs, like yeah. when they were out because there was now, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in and it really changed everything for them, um, which is great. I mean, that's how it should be. That's why like if you're a huge band and you're covering an obscure band, you're really doing them a favor because you're going to be sending a lot of money their way, like if they wrote the songs. Um, yeah. So I always had like an immense respect for, for that. And I think that, you know, that's, that's at least like one of the fair parts of the system that if you wrote a song, you know, and again, whether you wrote 10% of the music or you wrote all the lyrics and maybe you get half of the publishing money because generally it's divided 50-50 between who wrote the music and lyrics. So if you wrote the lyrics to Inagata Devita and someone else wrote, you know, all the music, you might get 50% of the money if you wrote just the lyrics, which are not nearly as complex. You can I like that that was your first example. <laughs> yeah, because to me, like, that's one where you're like, okay, there's... Sure. An awful lot of music versus very little lyrics. Um, sure, sure. I, I'm sure there's even, you know, more extreme examples, but that's, uh, yeah, that is a pretty good one. Um, but I don't know whether they registered that 50-50. If they did, then whoever wrote the lyrics to that and basically writing what in the Garden of Eden, but in a fucked up way or whatever, did really well. Um, it, it's it's pretty interesting at least that you know there's some measure of protection for this and uh even now you can only sign away a maximum of 50 percent of your publishing um you know so you can a publisher can take 50 percent of your publishing but you have to get the other half at least and i believe in europe it's 60 40 for the artist I and believe. normally a lot of what's that 
I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of deals, you know, better deals are, are much higher than that towards the artist's favor, but the, the most they can take of your publishing is 50%. Whereas, you know, on a, you can sign a record deal and give away 99% of your royalties, but publishing, there's like some level of control. Um, and what it comes down to a lot of times is that you have to go in and just make sure that you sign up with a, like a collection society. So if you're in the US, you sign up with ASCAP or BMI or CSAC, but you know, most people are ASCAP or BMI. Doesn't really make a difference to be honest. Um, once you do that, then you give them the information on the songs you wrote so that they have the information. And if anyone does a cover or something pops up, they know what it is and they can collect it. And then if you sign a publishing deal, that publisher usually administers, which means they take care of like all the, the paperwork and registrations and everything else. And that's how they earn their money. Yeah. So if you are a, you know, so if you are a smaller band in the metal world, what should you be doing about your publishing? I think the important things there is if you're a smaller band, um, A, you know, first of all, register with a collecting society, I would say. Um, yeah. You normally pay one fee for a lifetime membership with whoever it is. So every country has their own collecting society. Um, go with them and then as a band you have to decide okay these are the songs we wrote every album we deliver every single or whatever it is we have to decide as a band who wrote what percentage of what and maybe you say we do a fair split and we say okay there's four guys in the band we all wrote 25 percent even if you bass player wrote nothing you know because we're just democratic that way and then other bands might be like you know no i'm danny filth you know i wrote 100% of the lyrics and I'm going to take 50% of the music and you guys can split the rest. I mean, that's, that's up to every band to decide on their own. But once they do, you register like the, the portion of the songs you wrote as well. And then you can decide, do we need a publisher? And when that comes about, you're like, okay, the publisher um, will take care of some of this administrative headache for you, which is good. Um, they might give you an advance on your publishing, which means that they're gonna collect 100% of your publishing. They agree to give you between 50 and 90%, depending on what they do. Um, and they might say, okay, we're gonna give you $2,000 a record. And then we collect the money until we recoup the 2000 bucks from your share. And then after that, we're gonna give you your percentage. So do you need that? It can help because sometimes you have publishers that do this. It really depends on the publisher. You have publishers that just do nothing but register the things. Um, and I mean, you can also sign like what's called like an administrative deal. Like a lot of these, um, one of the bigger examples would be a company like Cobalt, like Cobalt with a K. You know, they do a lot of admin deals where it's just publishing administration. They're not going to be, there's not a lot of bells and whistles, but generally they'll give you like a really good split. Is it easy for a small band to sign up with Cobalt? No, it's not. They want oh, the bigger. So, band. so just to, to clarify for people, what's the difference between a collecting a collecting agency and publishing administration? Um, a collecting society is the one that administers the rights and collects the money in that country where something was manufactured or sold, and then they take that money and pay it out to whoever is entitled to get it. So if 
if you are a collecting society in the US, right? And you're a band in France with a French publisher, then that collecting society in the US in theory collects the money and then pays the money that's due minus their small percentage that they keep for their work. Um, they pay it on to the publisher in France. And then the publisher takes that money and says, okay, here's the money we got. Here's what we're splitting with you. So the collecting society is like really sort of like the, um, the watchdog of the whole thing. And like there's usually set up in each country, like there's one or two, um, normally one in each country. So like England would have PRS and the US I believe has Harry Fox. Um, and you know, it, it just goes on and on like as to who collects in each country. And then they take that money, Germany is GEMA, um, and they pay it on to whoever is entitled to have that money if they can find who it's due to. Because if you're not registered with your songs, if you don't have a publisher, they may not know who that money goes to. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to clarify that for, for folks listening at home. Sure, and, and the publisher is just the one that gets your rights either for forever um, or for a limited period of time. And they are just taking care of like whatever money they collect, they get that they give you a percentage um, and they should be the ones going out there and saying like, okay, um, the band told us they played at this festival. Here was their set list. We're going to register this so that we can try and collect public performance income, which like every festival would have to pay. Or, you know, in theory, like no matter what you do, if you have a bar that plays music on a jukebox, you have to pay to a collecting society for the right to play music in front of a public audience even if it's just bar patrons right um you know so any music venue they have to pay the collecting society uh for every performance they have based on the amount of people basically or like the size of the venue um you know and then maybe for How a bar does that realistically happen though um I, I think it's pretty well enforced because i believe the collecting societies really want that money sure um so they collect it. What happens from there with that money? I, I hate to say, you know, because I, I really don't know if it's split up evenly between whoever it's due to, or like everyone gets a certain percentage. It's sort of like Spotify. Spotify collects so much money. Does it really go to who it's due to? Who would know? Right. You know, yeah. none of us are going to audit this or whatever. Like we'll never, ever really find out the truth. Um, but in theory, you know, like I've heard people say like, oh yeah, like when I had to pay, um, Harry Fox or whatever, like, you know, so that I have like a bar that has a jukebox, you know, and they're like, oh, this is ridiculous. But in theory, that's what it does. It goes to this and it, and some of that should be going to the artists in the long run. You know, if you're John Cougar Mellencamp, you might see a little bit of that money if they're playing, you know, Jack and Diane often enough. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of surprisingly deep cut examples here. <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know okay so i so what other thing could you expect a publisher to do in theory uh if you have a proactive publisher right this would be someone that would say okay um we have your music we have the rights to your music we're the only ones that have rights to this music that you gave us um now if we believe that we can get your music into a video game or on a commercial or used in a film 
or anything like this, you know, like what they call like a basically a sync license, like short for synchronization. And that means anytime music is used together with an image, like a moving image or still image, whatever, but that's a sync license. So then you need to pay whoever owns the master of that record, like the label or the band themselves if they own it, um, and whoever has the publishing. And that could also be the band or a publisher. So the publisher could say like, okay, we're gonna shop this. You know, and some labels have their own publishing house. So if you're a label with a publisher, then you could shop and you could do like a, basically you're shopping all in one because you can clear both sides with the label and the publishing because you need to have approval on both sides in order to do such a license. Yeah. And whatever amount, there is no like fixed amount. You can't just say like, oh, okay, we're using it in a video game. The fixed rate is $2,000. That's what we're paying you. It's like, no, you could ask for a million and a half. You could ask for 38 cents, you know, whatever you want to negotiate, that's up to you. And I've um, seen the same song get two different payment payouts from different games. Yes, exactly. Uh, but that's it because it, it's, it's down to the strength of what you can negotiate. You know, the, the games company might offer something. And if you have a good publisher where they know they need more from that catalog, they can probably negotiate a much better deal. Cause they're like, look, you offered 500 bucks, but if we don't get $2,000, you're not getting the rest of these titles. And that's why it's maybe good to be with a bigger publisher. Um, of course, the difference is that if you're with a bigger publisher, you might get a worse percentage. And now you get back to the whole, well, is it better to have 50% of something and 100% of nothing? Maybe, right? Um, but this is, yeah. This is sort of like the, the give and take as far as to like, you know, what sort of deal should you sign? Even like with, you know, it's like with a record label, do you sign with, something where you get a great percentage and they don't sell as much or something where they sell a ton of copies and you get a really horrible royalty rate. Yeah. And where do you place your, your value? You know, I think there's, you know, there's uh, a Venn Sevenfold song that's kind of tattooed into my skull because they were in a very specific sports video game when I was eight. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, there was there were so many songs that I heard years down the line that I had no idea where they came from. And then I realized they were in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 or something like this. Yeah. And I was like, I had no idea what this song was, but I've heard it a million times. I'm like, oh, that's Mad Capsule Markets. Okay, great. Now I know. Um, but you don't know at the time because you're just playing and whatever and it sticks in your head. But yeah, there is a usage. But in most of those usages they just pay one time. They're like, look, we're gonna give you $4,000. Whether this game sells four copies or 48 million, you get the same amount, or one for a thing, film as well. One thing I'm a fan of, you see kind of, and I actually wanted to do your thoughts on this. I was reading about this last night because um, I was so fascinated with it. Um, you see this more in apps, although I could see app games, I could see it happening on uh, like platform video games soon is instead of paying for a license, what they do is they just set it, they like deep link it to Spotify. Mm -hmm. So the track is at, so like when you get to this level, it just automatically plays the track on Spotify rather than paying a, paying a sync license. So basically you know the saying? company pays nothing. So the company pays nothing, but they're getting you a play on Spotify, which could also help in algorithms, et cetera. So wait, so if I'm playing the game and I don't have a Spotify account, what happens then? I get no music? I, I, I don't know. 
I'm not, the, I'm not way, the architect behind this, man. No, I mean, it sounds pretty bad to me, though, because I would imagine that getting a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars in the hand is probably better sure. than risking it on Spotify plays. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. No, I was just curious because it was just something I I came across recently, and I thought it's new to me, to be honest. But I, it, it doesn't surprise me, and it's an intriguing idea. Um, the point being, okay, so. Now, in terms of sync, because this is something I struggle explaining to fans, mm -hmm. can you just go over how hard that is in general and specifically for metal bands? Sure. Um, it's hard. If you are unknown and if you are self-published or you're with a small publisher, it's extremely hard. What this basically means is that whoever is deciding the music for that commercial, game, film, whatever, must already know who you are and decide that they want your music in that. If they don't, you have basically zero chance of getting in that thing, right? Yeah. Because, you know, each, each project has a music supervisor and their project is, okay, here's a budget, here's what we need, you know, maybe someone says, I need, okay, in this one, I want something that sounds, you know, a bit like uh, Disturbed. And on this one, I need something that's a bit heavier. I want something that sounds like Slayer, but doesn't cost like Slayer. Uh, and on this one, I want something like, you know, sort of like dark industrial Gothic. And then they're like, okay, great. And then they just use their knowledge and go out. And sometimes they just go to the publishers they know and they're like, hey, you know, you're a clearance person at this publishing thing or whatever. What do you have in this style? And you'll get asked these questions, you know, like I've had this come up as well, even not as a publisher, but just someone that works with bands. You know, they're like, you know, hey, uh, the John Oliver show, do you something that sounds like Slayer? You know, what do you have? And I'd be like, OK, here's five examples I can send you. And then in the end, they're like, oh, OK, we chose something else in the end. But you're like, all right, it's it's still fun to try and come up with something. And if you know your catalog well enough, you can do that. But for a band to be asked blindly that nobody would know, I would say it's next to impossible. Yeah. So that's that's one of the few advantages of being with a bigger publisher, unless, of course, it's a bigger publisher where you're just like a face in a sea of people, you know, and like if you're if the music like the people that are in charge of clearances don't know who you are, you also don't have a like, a, you know, a lot of hope. But they're yeah, you see things come through. But generally, for most publishers, they were asked to clear something rather than them like pounding the phones and hitting people up and being like, hey, I've got this band, you know, they they sound exactly like Pantera, but they cost just a tenth of as much as Pantera, you know? Yeah. Um, you're, you're not gonna see that very often, like, you know, really getting much sync stuff. Yeah, and I feel like broadly speaking, the market for like metal within that is much, much smaller. I would say so, and you know, and let's face it, a lot of the stuff you hear on TV, the songs you hear, because especially like when, you know, you'll watch uh, network or cable TV and there's a trailer for a new series coming, whatever they use, you know, let's face it, it's the same fucking songs all the time. And you're just like, man, okay. But those people, they're, they're the ones making bank. So, you know, if you've got that song, that's like the, the flavor of the moment or whatever, you can really rake it in. Um, you know, even if you might be whatever, uh, it might be whatever I'm trying to think of like just a weird example of something, you know, even years ago when it was like, Oh, here's Dandy Warhol's Bohemian like you. And that was in everything for like six months. 
yeah. then you go along later and then it's like all of a sudden there's something else that's like oh that song you hear everywhere for three months that's where they make all their money it's in those sync placements and you know on well, things like that yeah and the beauty like i have a friend who had a movie in a tarantino film mm-hmm. and within that uh it was sort of weird because he was he's been able to just like have a career out of that you Based know what on I mean? the money he got from that or just because it's like oh i was in a tarantino film and that well, because doors. because like people thought like his song and then went and looked him up and now he has like his three thousand people who will buy his thing every time he does a thing i mean it makes sense like who knew the five six seven eights right before kill bill or things like that exactly you know and i think that's uh i don't know is it I think that's what tempts people, but I also just think that it's such a one in a million shot. I think it's not really worth. It is. And let's face it, knowing Tarantino, he probably knew exactly what music he wanted in that, right? Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, like I've gotten requests to clear tracks or whatever. Um, And again, not as a publisher, but just someone that like either approves for a few labels or working for bands and something comes up and it'll give you a description of the scene. And you can tell like sometimes it's just a generic thing. They don't care what they have. So you, you can't really be forceful about, you know, like what you're asking for. And other times it's like this song is exactly what they need because of the lyrics and whatever else. Like then you can really turn the screws because you're like, hey, I know you, that guy behind this film wants this song. So you have to pay for it. And they're like, oh, we're out of budget. I'm like, you can't be out of budget. Like the film cost $5 million, whatever, right? You have to have at least... $50,000 left for the whole soundtrack or whatever. Otherwise you really plan poorly. So, you know, Hey, fair is fair. Maybe you need to pay five grand to get this song. Um, yeah. It, so it, you do it in a case by case situation, but I can definitely see that it's, it comes down to who it is. And, you know, sometimes you have those music nerds that make films or whatever. Like, I'm, you know, I'm kind of surprised that like S Craig Zoller hasn't had like a lot more, uh, you know, distinct metal songs in some of the movies he's directed or whatever, but that's the kind of guy where you'd be like, okay, if it's someone like that, you know, that that is the song that they wanted specifically, not just one of a hundred choices. Yeah. So, okay. So got a little bit. Yeah. So, so, and yeah, so I'm, I'm glad we could go down that same rabbit hole for a minute. Um, but to circle back to publishing, right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So this is something we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast is, you know, so the common advice is don't sign away your publishing. And yet from what you're saying, at least from what I can tell, which is the opinion I hold is that if the label acts as a competent publishing house, why not? I would say to self-administer publishing can be tricky because you, as I said, you need to make sure that you have everything registered, which a lot of bands don't. Um, So make sure it's registered and on publishing, really, it comes down to the deal. So if, if you're getting offered 50, 50 for no money and they own your publishing forever, that's a bad deal because you at least to take a a deal where you're giving up 50 or 40% of your publishing, you at least want to get something back. So at least in advance for the record, we're like, Oh, we could really use you know, those few thousand dollars or whatever it is. That's one thing. Um, if you have a licensing deal with your label where the, they have the rights for, let's say, 10 years or 12 years, 
um, you know, for, for the records, and then after 10 or 12 years, you get all the rights back, then I would not sign a publishing deal that's any different. I would also demand that, you know, if I'm doing a publishing deal, it's 10 or 12 years, and then after that, all the rights come back. And that's all stuff you can negotiate, you know? It's not like you, ha the publisher has to own things forever. They don't. Um, you know, they but don't they have to... Like to. Go ahead. But they frequently like to own things forever. Oh, yes, of course, because why not, right? That's forever. Um, so does a label. A label would love to own every record forever if they could. But, you know, unfortunately, there's some pesky uh, lawyers and whatever consultants and everything out there. And bands learn like, oh, we don't need to give up our rights forever. So um, if you can negotiate a good enough deal and you can get a high enough percentage, you know, I mean, like I always like 70, 30, 80, 20. That's like where I start to get comfortable depending on the size of the band. And it really depends on the size of the band. The bigger the band, the more you can demand. If you're an unknown band out of nowhere, you might have to swallow a 50-50 deal or 60-40. Um, that's fine. Um, what I would also say though, uh, an important thing to that band should know about, um, have you ever discussed sound exchange? We have not, get into it. Okay, so sound exchange is the only official um, collecting society for digital public performance income, which it's a bit weird, whatever, but in the digital age, it's something new. It's free to sign up. It's lifetime. They're the only ones that can ever collect this income. And it happens from anything that's like, you know, broadcast digitally where they get public performance. They will hold your money forever for a band until you actually register to collect it. So if you don't register for 50 years and then you finally do, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've got five grand sitting here waiting for you, they will pay it out. So register with SoundExchange. It's soundexchange.com. Um, it, it's not, you know, it's a nonprofit. So really, it's, it's above the board. Definitely do that. Some bands have told me they signed up and they're like, man, we got like a pretty big check. Like, you know, we've been around for 20 years. We had no idea about this, whatever. And now we get checks twice a month, but it's money you won't get unless you sign up with them. A label can collect half of that money, but half of the money can only be collected by the band, no matter what deal they have. How do you, um, how do payouts for that work? Like, like, like how much are you paid based with that? Like, what is the payment basis? don't really know, to be honest. I mean, it's even a portion of a portion, basically, of like your mechanical, like your publishing money, but it's money that you would never, ever get unless you sign up with them. So, and, and the thing is, if you go on their site, you can even search your band name and it'll tell you if they have money held aside for you. Yeah. So if, if your name doesn't show up, you can be like, oh, well, we don't need it yet or whatever. But if your name pops up, you can be like, oh, you know what? Let's do it. It's free. And you have to jump through some hoops as far as like, you know, paperwork and whatever, signatures and blah and PDFs and all this and that and passports. But fine. I mean, sometimes that's what you need to do. Um, that's a really, really good one to know because a lot of bands don't even know about this and they've been around for years and years already. Um, you know, but let's face it, they're not for profit. So they're not out there advertising or whatever else. It's just something you kind of need to know. I always tell bands right away, sign up for sound exchange, sign up with a collecting society, um, you know, publishing. It's a take or leave thing. It's just that if in doubt, speak to someone that knows a little bit about publishing and like, Hey, are we getting screwed here? 
you know, try and it's like a record deal. Give up as few records as you need to, unless you have a great deal. You know, I mean, I've seen publishing deals where bands were getting a $10,000 advance per record and they never came close to recouping that. So actually they got money they never should have deserved, but this was also years ago. And now a lot of publishers are, you know, a lot more uh, stringent about like, you know, what money they're going to lay out unless they really believe they can get it all back. Very well said. Do you have any sort of final points you want to get into on this? Mm. I feel like we've been pretty intense across kind of a variety of aspects here. Well, I'll tell you what, um, let me just touch on something briefly because this is coming up more and more. Um, there's a, you know, a lot of bands that use producers now and a producer will sometimes say, I want to have um, two, three, 5% of the publishing, right? Yeah. I'm help, helping you to, you know, arrange and whatever coordinate these songs. I want a percentage. That's okay. If it's like a, if it's a fair, small percentage, whatever. And if they're really helping you shape stuff, if they're just an engineer and just like, you know, setting up the mics over a drum kit, you don't need to pay them. But you know, if they're like, Oh no, you should change this course and move stuff around, whatever. Then I, I believe it's fair, you know, and sometimes they'll also ask for points, whatever, which, yeah, you know, they get a percentage of your royalties basically on your records. Um, which can also be okay depending on the producer. But I would say like, you know, that's coming up more often and yeah. it can be okay. Um, uh, hmm, okay, wait, let me think. Is there anything else? Um, yeah, giving up your publishing is not like the be all end all. It's just that you wanna try and make sure that you're getting the best deal possible. So as with anything, as I say, if you're being asked to sign something, if you don't understand what you're being asked to sign, ask someone who does know. You know, it might be someone in a band, might be someone that helps manage bands. Um, there's people out there that do this professionally, whatever. But before you sign anything, you know, put your name on something, whatever, and maybe change their, like your career arc forever. Always check with someone to make sure that this is like above board. Yeah, that's, uh, that's important. I've definitely seen, I've definitely, I've even like given people a contract that I knew they wouldn't understand and told them to get a lawyer and then had them send it back signed in like 24 hours and been like, come on, buddy, let, let's try this again. <laughs> like without one single change, right? Yeah. And you're just like, okay, look, here's my guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guy, right? He doesn't cost a lot. And even if he costs a little bit of money, you know, even having someone invest two hours into this deal could really save your, you know, save your ass because maybe something's in there that's like, oh, if they don't pay you or account to you, it doesn't matter. There's nothing you can do. They own the rights forever. The thing is and maybe me, that guy can. Even as label guy, I want my guys to hire a lawyer because I, <clears throat> I want to make sure, you know, I can tell them something, you know, and be, and be like the nice guy who breaks it down. But like, I want to make sure there's an other guy who isn't being paid for them to understand it or being paid by the label for them to understand it, you know, so that they can be comfortable. You know, so they can't like bring the ax down on me. Agreed. And, you know, and let's face it, a lot of bands will sign whatever's in front of them because they're like, oh, now we have a record deal, we have a publisher, we have a manager, whatever it is. Um, but the important thing in that situation is that they understand what they're signing because bands will also say, oh, you know, the label only has rights for five years. And then in the end, you look at it and you're like, no, they own the rights forever. You know, 
it's five years until you can do whatever, something different that they misunderstood. So, and, and that's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with not understanding a contract. You're not really meant to, you know, that's the important part. You're a creative type. You're out there to create music and make art. You know, if you were a structural person by nature, you would be in accounting or something different. So that's fine. It's just in, you know, enlist the services or just even, like I said, just even friendly advice of someone and be like, hey, does this look right? You know, you're with that same label. Does this look like the deal you signed? And maybe that band is like, oh no, this is totally different. And just find out, okay, why? Yeah, very well said. This has been Dumb and Dumbest. You have been listening.